Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. Go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. And as you do that, I want you to think about something that I know that many of you have been involved in. Uh, either blessed by or maybe you have been an active part in over the years. Each week our church sends out prayer letters to various people, uh, praying over different individuals, different families, different circumstances, just to simply say, we are praying for you. Maybe you've received a card or a letter from someone, or maybe it's been one of these letters, or a text, or a phone call. Or maybe had a visit from somebody, and it was mentioned, we are praying for you. Our church is praying for you. Maybe you've been the one who's sent one of those. Maybe you've been the one who's been praying for some of these people. As a Christian, there is an unmatched sense of peace and humbleness and love, confidence and encouragement from the Holy Spirit, I know when, I re, when I'm told by someone that they're praying for me, I don't know about you, but that's, when I'm told that somebody is praying for me, it does something, and it's, I feel like it's from the Holy Spirit. Billy Graham said, prayer is not an option, but it's a necessity for us. So I want you to keep this in mind this morning as we turn to read our passage out of Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14, we're going to read to the end of the chapter. It says, When I think of all of this, I fall on my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious and limited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will, be, will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all of God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and to Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, this morning, as we look at this passage out of Ephesians chapter 3, God, we do ask that your spirit would guide this morning, that I might be able to step aside. And God, we would hear from you. God, that we would leave here changed because we've had an encounter with you this morning. It's in your name I pray. Amen. As we look at this passage this morning, I think the first few words that we read, when I think of all 
of this obviously point us back to something that Paul has written previously. In the immediate verses right before in chapter 3, he writes about the joy and the privilege of bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. That even in his suffering, even in his current state, which is in prison, God's eternal plan is still in motion. If you'll look back for a moment just to the first verse in chapter 3, you'll see that Paul uses the exact same phrase in verse 1. When I think of all this. He could also be tying back what he's just said in chapter 3 with what he said in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 5, he talks about uh, believers and because of their new purpose in Christ are given life, a life, uh, given new life because of grace. And in verse 19, he says, believers are saints united together in God's family. In verse 20 of chapter 2, he says he is making all believers together the dwelling place of God, the church. Believers, in, in verse 22, he says, believers are not a building, but a body of believers. And so we see all of this that Paul has said in the previous couple chapters beforehand. And I think it's a melding of these circumstances and of these thoughts when Paul comes to verse 14 in chapter 3 and he says, when I think of all this, as he's been traveling, as he's been preaching, he's been teaching and sharing the love of Christ with everyone that he's come into contact with, which was, which was a new thought, sharing with everyone the gospel. But now as he's imprisoned, Let's keep that in mind. Let's read verses 14 and 15 again together. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray that from his glorious and limited resources, that, that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. You know, multiple things are, are key. Even before Paul mentions uh, the words of his prayer. The first thing that we see is his posture. It was more normal practice during those times to stand while praying, but not always. Uh, we see Jesus in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says that he fell on his face, bowed with his face to the ground. Paul's posture showed his urgency and, and humility and submission and even an intense passion for, for what he was praying for. You know, our posture in many things reveals not only our intents, but it reveals our intensity. Yesterday, we were, Pierce and I were at another tech basketball game, and, and it came to mind as I was uh, looking over my notes last night and again this morning, you know, we go to a basketball game to cheer, but there were times yesterday where we just sat there and I, we sat back in our chairs and we didn't do anything at all. But there were times where we stood up and we cheered. There were times where we were sitting on the edge of our seat ready for the next thing to happen. Our posture in each and everything reveals our intensity towards something. And so we think about our faith 
this morning. What is our posture in faith? Tomorrow night, when we come and we have a time of corporate prayer together and we meet inside here and we pray for different things, what will our posture be as we pray for those things tomorrow? The next thing that's revealed in this passage, even before Paul says the words of his prayer, is who he is praying to, which, which we see is the Father. It immediately reminded me of Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus mentions the Father by name in Matthew chapter 6 in verses 1, 4, 6, 8, 9, 14, 15, 18, 26, and verse 32. And in a familiar verse in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus says this, Pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Many of our translations say, hallowed be your name. An example, obviously, for us to follow, to pray in Jesus' name. Jesus said, pray like this. The final key that we see here early in this passage before he prays is who he's praying for. This letter was written to who? Well, let's find out. We can find that out very easily in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. It doesn't hide who this verse or who this, who this letter is written to. Ephesians 1, chapter 1 says this letter is from Paul Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. God's people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. It's important for us to remember this throughout the book, throughout this letter. Who is Paul addressing as he's writing these things. He's addressing God's people, God's holy people. He is addressing the saints. Paul is bowing in passionate prayer to the Father and Creator to whom we owe our very existence, praying a prayer for the saints, for God's holy people. So to me, there are four things that we can see in verses 16 through 19 as Paul gives four requests for spiritual empowerment. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. The first one that we see is a prayer for inner strength. Inner strength. Let's look again at verse 16. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. I think before we talk about what this is, it's important for us to know what this is not. It's not an open door for those who we see so, so too often in the prosperity gospel of today, praying for the power of positive thinking. It's not a Lakewood, Bethel, Elevation, mental renewal, uh, turning over a new leaf, some self-help or some pep talk. It's not just a passing plea. When the going gets tough, the tough gets going. Paul is praying for believers who are living in a culture 
that's hostile to the message of the gospel. Those on the front line of a battle that, that are in spiritual warfare. Does this sound familiar to you at all? That they might be strengthened in their inner being. We understand that, that God empowers and God strengthens. And he does this with his own glory. It's a little bit different from our thoughts. I mean, we think about how we can make ourselves stronger. We think about how we can get through this. And if we can just be a little bit tougher. But it's not that we might be great. It's that he would be great in and through us. That we might be used by him to do something that's great. And, it, and this is going to be a common theme for us as we look at this passage. It's overflowing. It's abundant. It's unlimited. And it strengthens because of his great grace and his mercy toward us. It's important that we understand the power and the strength doesn't come from us. But it's, it comes because we are showered and we're guided by the Holy Spirit. You see, you're going to see that each one of these requests build on each other. So as we, as Paul has prayed for inner strength, that leads to a prayer of the indwelling of Christ. Let's look at verse 17. It says, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down deep in God's love and keep you strong. Remember again that Paul is not writing this letter to unbelievers. So as Paul is writing this letter to the believers, he's not, he's not asking for their salvation, but a deepening sanctification and a strengthening, there's that term again, in their faith. You know, there are two New Testament words that are translated as one English word to dwell or to make home. And Paul, the word that Paul uses here is katoikeo, which means to settle down and to make a permanent home. That Christ would be the vine, the trunk, the stalk through which we grow. That as he explains it, Paul uses these two agricultural metaphors that we should be kind of familiar with here. We understand the importance of a strong root system. The roots that are able to grow as we love God and we love each other. Because that's what our foundation is. It's where we are grounded. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, it says, And now... Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down, go, grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. It's a great picture for us that's painted by Paul, a picture that's easy for us to understand, taking hold of the truth of Christ and allowing his truth to be our firm 
foundation. So from inner strength to the indwelling of Christ and now to the abundance of Christ's love. As we look back in our passage and and read verses 18 and 19. It says, And may you have the power to understand, as all of God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You know, through the inner strength of the Holy Spirit and the deep roots that are grown within the indwelling of Christ in each one of our lives, Paul now prays that with all of God's people, God's holy people with all saints, that through the power of God's Holy Spirit, as we've talked about already, that there would be a seizing or a comprehension of Christ's love. An incredible uh, description that's drawn from this passage by Ian Hamilton, uh, he describes as four-dimensional, as wide as the ends of the earth, as long as eternity, as high as the heavens, and as deep to reach the depths of a lowly sinner just like me. It's at this moment that we can comprehend Christ's love as wide, as long, as high, and deep, so vast to cover all of the saints. It even passes our own human capability to be able to reason. We comprehend that we can't comprehend. Romans eleven thirty three. This is what Paul says there. He says, Oh, how great God's riches, the wisdom and knowledge. How impossible is it for us to understand his decisions and his ways. And Paul revisits this thought, we'll see in a couple verses, as he has his doxology. But for us, there must be a moment where our words and our thoughts end. And our wonder of who he is takes over. So we see the inner strength, which comes from the indwelling of Christ in our lives. And it brings us this abundance of his love that overflows into this number four, which we see here is completeness. Let's read again Ephesians 3.19. It says, May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So we understand that the Holy Spirit gives the inner strength to bring fullness in our lives. And we see that the indwelling of Christ happens in our lives and it brings fullness 
to our lives. And we see that the abundance of Christ's love is present in our lives. Our roots grow down deep and it brings fullness in our lives. Going back to Colossians chapter 2, continuing on in verse 8 where we left off, it says, Don't let anyone capture you with the empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body. So you, are, so, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. The incredible thing about being filled by God is that it becomes an overflow of who we are. It's how we are identified by people. People identify us by seeing that overflow in our lives because we can't help it. We can't help but be overflowed by what and how God is working in our lives. It becomes a display in every aspect of our existence because of what God is doing. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God's power, God's presence, God's love, and God's seal on our lives. Paul concludes chapter 3 with what we would call a doxology. Verses 20 and 21 says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and to Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. One of the commentaries that I used, I mentioned earlier this week, was written by Ian Hamilton. He said, Doxology is the first resting place of true theology. Where doxology is absent, True theology can hardly be present. Verse 20 begins, and verse 21 wraps up by giving God the glory. The one who is most deserving receives the glory. But it is in verse 20 where Paul says a phrase that can only be attributed to God and to God alone. Again in verse 20, now, all glory to God who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Think for a moment with me this morning about the sovereignty and the omnipotence of God. Who has the power? To create? Who has the power to heal? Who has the power to punish? Who has the power to save? Who has the power over life? And who has the power to conquer death? The answer 
over and over and over again is God and God alone. Paul uses this phrase, who is able. Now, all glory to God, who is able. Immediately for me, it reminded me of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As they answered King Nebuchadnezzar, who's given them a final chance. Okay, guys, you're getting ready to go into the fiery furnace. We're going to heat it up hotter than it's ever been. You guys have one more opportunity. What are you going to do? Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. I love their answer. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He'll rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Our God, and only our God, is able. The next phrase, through his mighty power, at work within us. It's the main theme for Paul to the church in Ephesus. He mentions it in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, and even earlier in, the, in our passage in, in verse 16 as we read. It's also what the reality needs to be for our churches today, that we are expecting a movement among our people and it comes from his mighty power that's, that's working within each one of us. God's people. God's holy people. The saints. What is God able to accomplish through his amazing power that's at work within each one of us? Well, Paul says, infinitely more than we might ask or think. So I want to ask and challenge you this morning, church, as we've read Paul's prayer letter to the holy people of God in Ephesus, what have you been praying for? And what have you been ready for God to do? I feel like we must be vigilant. We must be alert, we must be ready, willing, available, as the Holy Spirit moves in our lives. We're expectant that God is moving here among us. And you have a group of pastors that are praying for God's mighty power to work within us, within our church, within you as the church. Each one of God's holy and anointed chosen people here today. My prayer is that one day we will look back, 
giving all glory to God, that he who was and is and always will be able through his mighty power, his mighty, unmatched, glorious power at work within each one of us, was able to accomplish infinitely more than what we asked or what we thought about. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you give us, that you give us an opportunity to come. God, an opportunity to, to worship together. God, an opportunity to worship through the reading of scripture, through song. God, each, each week as we're challenged by the preaching of your word. You give us an opportunity to grow in that relationship with you. God, as we, as we go and we, we go our separate ways and we, and we go back to what we might consider normal each day, God, I pray that we go with the intensity of what you are doing in each one of our lives. As we go back to our families, as we go back to our jobs, we go with our friends and we go different places that people see us in this community. God, that, we, that you would shine through in our lives. God, that you would be an overflow of everything that's happening in each one of our lives. God, we love you so much. God, we know that your work is not done, that your work continues. And God, we come expectant to see you move among us. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.